Father, I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. For you alone are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. And good morning. It is wonderful to be with you today, this special morning. Uh, welcome again to St. Thomas Anglican Church. Uh, welcome to our Bishop Frank Lyons, uh, our many guests here, Canon George Ivy, Father Bill Sharp, many friends and family of Bill and May Lynn, uh, members and friends of this church. We're so glad you're here with us today. Uh, even braving the elements. Um, well done. I'm glad we didn't have to put into practice the stilling of the storm that we just read about in Mark. Um, we've already done quite a bit in this special service. We've got a lot more work to do. We heard remarkable readings from God's Word, beautiful texts of calling and faith and the gospel set against the backdrop of the sin we find ourselves uh, within ourselves and all around us, the dark and terrifying storms of this world. And today, this morning, I want to turn our attention to this incredible passage in 2 Corinthians. As we think about the work of ministry uh, on this ordination Sunday, <laughs> this passage will show us the ministry of Jesus on our behalf, first and foremost, uh, the ministry that we're all called to as Christians. Uh, we need to think about that on a special ordination Sunday. What does God call all of us to in terms of ministry? And then we will reflect on this special ministry as we set Bill apart today for his ordination as a, a presbyter or a priest uh, in God's church. So first, uh, the ministry of Jesus for us and for our salvation. Uh, just to orient us a little bit, the we're in 2 Corinthians, and the church in Corinth is uh, let's tastefully say a troublesome congregation. They have issues. They are super extra. And Paul's ministry has come under attack. Frankly, it would be really natural for Paul to just give up on them, to move on, to shake the dust off his sandals and keep going, but he doesn't and he can't. Verse 14 tells us why. For the love of Christ controls us, compels us. Paul's ministry is rooted in the primary love and ministry of Jesus. The ministry of Jesus precedes and propels him to do the work God has given him to do. And so before we talk about ministry in a general sense or, or even ministry in an ordained sense, we must start with the ministry of Jesus. First and foremost as our foundation, uh, of course, Bill, that is always only the starting point for any and all ministry that we do. The ministry of Jesus for us and for our salvation. In these first few verses, we see that his great love for us, for all really, Paul writes that Jesus died and was raised. His bloody cross, his glorious resurrection, not isolated, unconnected events, but intentional and purposeful for the ministry of Jesus. This happened, Paul writes, for their sake. For a specific reason, Jesus died and was raised again. It says that those who live might not live for themselves, but for him. That's the purpose of this salvation Christ has wrought. Uh, one commentator put it this way, Christ's love has a purpose 
not only for the human, but in the human. Christ died in order to deliver human beings from their fatal bondage to themselves. He's come to free us from our fatal bondage to ourselves. So let's jump down to verse 21. Paul hammers this home, this incredible verse, for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This has often been called uh, the great exchange as we see the transfer and exchange that takes place in salvation. Our sin, we give to him his righteousness, he gives to us. It's a pretty good deal. It's a pretty great exchange, thanks be to God. And because of that, we can have forgiveness of our sins. We can be freed from our bondage to ourselves. As Paul says in verse 19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Um, that truth, that first foundational truth, that really the greatest truth the world has ever known, that truth, Bill, is the main message that you are given a great responsibility and a profound delight to proclaim to God and to all people. And so that naturally leads us to consider the ministry of each and every Christian, uh, what uh, is often called the priesthood of believers. Because the middle part of this passage is incredible. We see that those who have been saved by the gospel are called to put on gospel glasses. Verse 16 says, from now on, therefore, says we regard no one according to the flesh. It's a striking passage. In other words, we don't look at and evaluate one another in fleshly, worldly terms, but through the lens of the gospel. Uh, one of my favorite writers on uh, ministry, Eugene Peterson, uh, who's now with the Lord, you might know him. He, he is often known as the author of the Bible, the message, kind of his translation, his paraphrase. He wrote a memoir called The Pastor. And it says that a congregation is composed of people who upon entering a church or a pavilion, what have you, when they enter into a church, they, they are leaving behind what people on the street name or call them. There's a unique identity as God's people gather as a congregation. And that's really part of what it means to no longer look at one another or even consider ourselves in fleshly or worldly terms. Peterson goes on to say a church can never be reduced to a place where religious goods and services are exchanged. It must never be a place where a person is labeled. It can never be a place where gossip is perpetuated. Before anything else, it is a place where each and every person is named and greeted, whether implicitly or explicitly, in Jesus' name. A place where dignity is conferred. In other words, every congregation, each church, is an embassy of the kingdom of God, an outpost of new creation. That's what verse 17 is about. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In an incredible way, this is about the, the new transformative work of God in every believer's lives. Uh, but if you actually dig into uh, the original text, the, the Greek that sits behind this, um, it's a little more abbreviated. It, it just says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. Like, like it's evidence that the new creation is coming in and among us. 
if anyone is now in Christ, if anyone is being transformed, it shows us that the, the new heavens, the new earth, the renewal of all things is being launched even now. And we see it's evident in individuals as they're transformed and in our midst collectively as God is at work in his church. Verse 17, especially the part about the old has passed away, behold, uh, that's like a, a, a prophetic arrow, behold, the new has come, really echoes and is drenched in these promises the prophet Isaiah makes. In chapter 65, he says, Be, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. All of God's promises are coming true through the ministry of Jesus and in and among us and in and amongst the church. Paul says all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's all of us. This isn't just for, for super Christians or apostles or those being ordained. It's for all of us. Every Christian has work that God has given them to do. Uh, Dr. Scott Haifman uh, is a New Testament scholar. Uh, he teaches at Wheaton College. That's where uh, Bill and Maylin went and did their undergraduate work. Um, actually, Bishop Frank, I believe, went to Wheaton College as well. Uh, even here in Athens, we are indebted to the long ministry and uh, the heritage of Wheaton and Church of the Resurrection and Anglican Church there in Wheaton. Uh, Scott Hapen writes this, becoming a new creation does not refer to becoming a new kind of super spiritual human being, but to becoming like Christ. And he says the contours of this new creation are moral, not ecstatic. It's not just this amazing feeling, these, these happy feelings we have, though we have those. It's being made like Jesus, doing the work that Christ has given us all to do. We have a privilege and a call to become like him through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're all graciously, incredibly reconciled to God through Christ and given this ministry of reconciliation. Um, I knew the bishop would be here today, and so I wanted to get all of my facts straight. So I went and looked at our new catechism. The ACNA Catechism to be a Christian is a wonderful teaching document. And there's a question about the ministry of all Christians. Question 139, if you're keeping track. What is the work of all Christians? Here's what the Catechism says. All Christians are to bear witness to Christ in their lives, to care for the poor, strangers, widows, and orphans, and according to their gifts, to serve Christ in the world and in the church. That's all of our calling friends. Uh, Archbishop Michael Ramsey, Archbishop of Canterbury in the last century, we'll come back to him later on, actually reminds us that if we read the books of the New Testament, the title priest is never given to the ministry, uh, to apostles or bishops or presbyters. They're not called priests there. Uh, there are two uses of the word priest in relation to Christianity. First, Jesus Christ himself is a priest, is our great high priest. And secondly, the whole church is a priesthood. First Peter chapter two, but you, again, that's the Greek word for y'all. We, we know how that works in the South. Y'all are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you, y'all, 
may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Friends, please, please do not leave this special service today thinking, I'm so glad Bill is called to ministry. <laughs> We're all called to do the work God has given us to do. Every Christian is called and given to ministry. We share in the priesthood of believers connected to our great high priest, the Lord Jesus. In fact, even the setting apart of leaders in the church recognizes that we're all supposed to do things. In Ephesians 4, Paul writes that leaders are given to the church as a gift from God. He, God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers not to wear fancy clothes, not to do all the work for us, but this, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Just want to kind of put that out there. Well, okay, if that's true, <laughs> what are we doing today? What are we about this morning? This special work of setting apart Bill as a presbyter, or a priest in God's church. Let's look at that. Um, and there's a really interesting linguistic thing uh, going on here. Strap in. Uh, the Greek word for priest is hierus. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our great hierus, our high hierus, our great high priest. That's how that word is used. It corresponds uh, to the priest we read about in the Old Testament. That's the, the Greek word for that. First Peter tells us, related to this, we are part of a kingdom of these. Kingdom of priests, plural. Friends, the closest use of that term for church leaders in the New Testament is Romans 15. And Paul talks about his priestly service in the gospel of God. Uh, more regularly, as we read the New Testament, church leaders are called bishops or presbyters. Uh, don't tell the Presbyterians over there. That's okay. They're just meeting the next building over. Uh, or deacons in the New Testament, the threefold order um, and then hang in there. Here's where it gets interesting. Uh, the English word priest that we use in the Anglican church has presbyter as its origin, linguistically. Um, Brenda's not with us today. Brenda's a Middle English, Old English expert. She could tell us how all this works. But basically, uh, there's a relationship between priest and presbyter in our funny English language. And so during the English Reformation, uh, the word priest is retained from our friends in the Roman Catholic Church but the meaning shifts a bit. Not as this necessary intermediary hierus priest, because that's Jesus, our great high priest, uh, but more to an official, an appointed elder and leader in God's church. Again, if you look at our catechism, this is crystal clear. Question 146, did my homework. Question 146, what is the work of priests? And the answer says, serving Christ with their bishops, priests, or presbyters. That's what it says there. It's in parentheses. Or presbyters. Uh, nurture God's people through the ministry of word and sacrament. They pronounce absolution and blessing in God's name. They're a gift to the church as such. Just earlier in the catechism, the question, what is ordination? The answer, ordination is the laying on of the bishop's hands with prayer which confirms the gift and calling of the candidates, consecrates them, and grants them authority to serve Christ and his church and the office to which they have been called. 
All right, you're with me? That little difference, linguistic difference between Kerus, priest, and presbyter, official elder? Then get this. We're in 2 Corinthians. And there's a word directly related to presbyter. And it's translated here as ambassador. Just kind of helpful. Think about it. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. That, that, that word is presbyters, essentially, uh, for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Um, we are ambassadors. One word in Greek. Uh, presbuomen, from, again, from presbyter. It's the same related word in how perfectly then, Bill, you are called, you are commissioned, you are given the joy and the duty to be an ambassador for Christ, announcing the beautiful gospel message of reconciliation, imploring others, not from your own winsomeness or persuasiveness, not in your own flesh, but with the vested authority in Christ and his church to be reconciled to God. And you will do it in many, many ways, but that is the central work. That's the task to which you are being called and set apart for by our bishop this morning. Your ministry as a, a presbyter, a priest, is rooted in the ministry of Jesus. It's an extension of the ministry of all Christians, and it's for the benefit of the church and for the sake of the world. Commenting on this passage, Bishop N.T. Wright says, but well, y'all knew that was coming, right? We had to have at least one reference to uh, Bishop Wright. Says the energy to get up and go on as one who works for the gospel, therefore, comes not from a cold sense of duty, not from a fear of being punished if you don't do your bit, but from the warm-hearted response of love to the love which has reached out reached down, and reached you. All right, allow me to offer just a few more personal thoughts. Again, from Archbishop Michael Ramsey. Um, we're almost done, but this is just about the gravity and the grace of this office to which you have been called. Uh, by the way, earlier this week, we were watching the weather forecast, and Bill said, hey, the weather forecast looks a little rainy. I said, the weather forecast also calls for a very earnest, warm-hearted, slightly too long sermon. <laughs> You're welcome. All right, rooted in this passage from 2 Corinthians 5, listen to this from Archbishop Ramsey. The priest is still the minister of reconciliation. And by this office, he links the common life of the church to the gospel of divine forgiveness upon which its common life depends. And then there's a section where he summarizes uh, who and what a priest is supposed to be. And I love this. He says, man of theology, man of reconciliation, man of prayer, man of the Eucharist, displaying, enabling, and involving the life of the church, such as the ordained priest. Man of theology, man of reconciliation, man of prayer, man of the Eucharist, displaying, enabling, and evolving the life of the church, such is the ordained priest, and such are you, Bill Stanford. What a great summary of who we have come to know and love you, how God has gifted you. And I'm grateful for you. I'm delighted to commend you as a priest, 
um, you're exactly that. Man of theology, man of reconciliation, man of prayer, man of the Eucharist. A gift to Christ's one holy and apostolic church and a huge gift to this parish family, St. Thomas Anglican Church, and a great gift and encouragement to me, just as a friend, as a colleague and partner in this ministry. So finally, let me encourage you as you take up, as you lean into this new office, um, I would just say continue being yourself in the best sense of that word. Continue being yourself in the best sense of that word. Um, Archbishop Ramsey, he was concluding, he gave some concluding thoughts. He said the priest should always be expressing gratitude to God. Always be aware of your own sin. Always be ready to accept humiliations and be humble. And then he says this, to be themselves in the best sense of that. He says, use your sense of humor. Laugh about things. Laugh at the absurdities of life. Laugh about yourself and about your own absurdity. Uh, you have to be serious, of course. This is serious work, uh, but never solemn, uh, never stoic. Because if you're solemn about anything, there is a danger of you're becoming solemn about yourself. And that will be spiritual disaster. Serving your deacon year in the midst of a global pandemic getting ordained as a priest outside, in and around the midst of a storm. Um, they're great practice for this. Tangible lessons in humility and humor. <laughs> and so now we pray for us and for Bill. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Grant to us your people. And grant Bill, your son, being ordained priest this morning, grace to love what you command and desire what you promise, that among the swift and varied changes of this world, our hearts, and especially his heart, may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found. We pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.